On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to look at some, well, some challenging questions. You're getting really deep there, getting into the thorn in the flesh. Well, you know, I, I got to thinking, I don't think we've ever discussed Paul's thorn in the flesh, which I think is just a neat sort of uh, uh, Bible question. It's not critical. It's not critical to know the answer to it. But, it's, but there's, I think there's actually some lessons to learn from Paul's thorn in the flesh. I kind of put that in at the end, the last of our discussion, in case we have time to get We may not get, have time to get to it because we actually have a guest uh, joining us here in just a minute to talk about some some questions that have come up about our giving, not how much we give or even the attitude that we have when we give, but actually the mechanics of our giving. All right, and then we're going to get into a discussion about Paul taking a vow. Was he still acting like a Jew? That comes from our Bible study here at College U last night. We talked about that in our Acts study, and I thought that might be interesting to discuss uh, on the Virtual Bible We're going far and wide, and we're going fast on the program. We we called our topic tonight Three Challenging Questions. That's uh, going to be a good discussion. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study we welcome you to the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday january 28th 2000 and 21 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob quinn my father greg quinn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you good tonight. to be with you kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here and we're glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com and sign in the chat room with other listeners tonight. They're filing in the chat room tonight, but uh, not everybody's signed in. You don't even have to give your real name. It'll assign a pseudonym for you if you'd let it. Uh, but just sign in there so you can sh- share your comments with other listeners. Uh, we see, uh, well, we see all the way out in California, Brian signed in tonight. Good, good to have Brian out on the other line. We see Dwight and Michelle in Iowa, and Grant and Janie are up in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, so they're all around tonight, and we want to hear from you on the program as we look at these uh, important, challenging questions tonight. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the three questions in general, we won't go into the details. Number one, we're going to talk about the mechanics of our giving. And there's been some questions that have arisen. Even uh, Crazily, even this has been affected by the pandemic and our response to the pandemic. Then we want to talk about Paul's taking of a uh, uh, or uh, taking doing acts of purifications uh, at the temple in Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey that'll be question two question three is Paul's thorn in the flesh what can we learn from how he dealt with it okay and uh, to jo- get us kicked off on the first one we've got a special guest calling uh, into the program tonight uh, from down in Athens Alabama Brent Ciotas online Brent welcome to the virtual Bible study hey Jacob hey Hey, Greg, thank you for letting me be on. Great to have you with us, Brent. You you had corresponded with us several months ago. Uh, we had talked a little bit about right. giving, and I don't even remember the specific program topic that we were discussing. It had to uh, do with this pandemic, uh, no doubt, as we were talking about. I actually thought it was earlier than that, but maybe it was. I think was. it was during the pandemic. But anyway, the, you had corresponded and challenged our thinking a little bit about the. Again, it's not about 
how much we give or the percentage we give or, uh, you know, the attitude of heart that we possess when we give. All those are very important things, obviously. But actually, we got some questions about how the mechanics of our giving, when we give, uh, 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 how we actually Donate the money. How how it how it. I guess how the money changes hands. How 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 do we do that? Okay. And so to our update list today, and uh, Brent, I don't know if you saw these questions. I I sent out to our update list this these questions. What are the specifics that must be in, observed in order for our giving to be in accordance with Bible authority, especially as expressed in First Corinthians sixteen one and two. Then as follow ups, we recently discussed that our observance of the Lord's Supper must be in the assembly. Is this also true of our giving? What means of collecting the money would be acceptable if a Christian is unable to be at the services due to sickness and so forth? Can his offering be made some other way, mailed in, given to another to be contributed or so forth? And then finally, if one is traveling, should he give a contribution at the place where he's visiting? Should he double up on his contribution when he returns home? So those are kind of the, the kind of things that we want to talk about here. But let's let's dig okay. into that first one first, and let me read the text in question. I think this is our principal authority for how we give our money. First Corinthians sixteen one and two. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I think, and I, I throw this out to start with, I think that I had suggested maybe that the expression be no gatherings when I come meant that there wouldn't be any <clears throat> hastily called assemblies of people. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and I don't think that that's the case now. If I, if I, if, and I may have, I, you I don't know, think you did express that because I would have remembered if you had. Uh, if I gave that in, in, in you know, the, if, if I intimated that, I don't think that's the case. I think he means no gatherings of money, so that right. they won't have to hurry up and gather up a bunch of money right. when he gets there. He was. Right. He, this was the end of uh, uh, going toward his end of his third missionary journey. He's going back to Jerusalem. He's going to carry a gift to the needy saints. He's actually serving as the courier for the churches at, in that time frame. He just, he's just carrying the money because he's going there anyway. Uh, but he said, I'm coming through there and have, have it all gathered up on the first day of the week so that when I get there, they don't have to be in a, a rush to assemble uh, uh, the money together. Yeah, it makes more sense than uh, get, like, he didn't want them to have to gather together as a church, you know, like he didn't want to see them or something. You know, that doesn't make, that makes more sense that he didn't want them to have to rush around to find, get the funds together. Right. Um, but, if I recall correctly, Brent, this was during the the beginning of the pandemic. We were talking about things that needed to be taken take, done in the assembly. The Lord's Supper is clearly for, uh, from First Corinthians chapter eleven needs to be done in the assembly of the saints. And um, and we had said at that point that we thought the collection needed to be taken in the assembly. But you challenged us on that and said, where do you see that in the scripture? So, Brent, explain your thinking there on that, where this could be done outside of the assembly. Right, and uh, again, thank you for letting me contribute to the the study. And I, like I said before we uh, began, before I got on the air, that uh, you know likely you're going to help me contribute more to my study. But uh, uh, just one thing I I thought about is, you know, there's some instructions in the to the churches in the New Testament that specifically involve the assembly of the church, 
Like, for example, you know, we look at First Corinthians chapter 11, and we see the assembly specifically worded into that in those instructions. We could look at that more, but then there's also even uh, instructions like in First Corinthians 14. You know, Paul, <coughs> excuse me, is describing you know the, the church come together, verse 23, and then he has some instructions for prophets and tongue speakers, and even some restrictions to women. But so here's you know, there are some instructions that we see in the New Testament that, that do specifically involve the assembly of the church, like there in chapter 11, chapter 14. But from the wording of uh, chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, you know, I don't see the restriction to the assembly of the church as I do in the wording to those, uh, in those chapters, other chapters. I, I, I'm, um, I, I'm in agreement with you on that, Brent, that, that obviously now we, we could talk about what we have always done. And of course, that's not proof of anything. We always did it this way. So, and, and that is absolutely no proof that it is the way it should be done or the right way to do it necessarily. But we have always taken up the collection during the assembly time, right. which I think is absolutely okay. Yeah, uh, and you can make it. There, you know, there may be a lot of different ways of judgment in the way that the church would carry out that uh, collection on the first day. Right. Maybe in the assembly. Yes, in the assembly, what we've typically done every place I've ever worshipped, uh, you know, they pass the plate, so to speak, you know, and you and you drop your money in. Mm-hmm. But we could all go up to the front. Everybody file out of their seat, go up to the front and drop it in, go back and take their seat. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that that could be done, even within the assembly. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody, uh, nobody that I know of would argue that it has to be done that specific way. Typically, it's been done the way we do it because it's a pretty effective way to get the job done it's an expedient uh, i think it's an authorized expedient uh that that just works and that's the way the reason why we've done it that way and and again i feel absolutely comfortable with that being scriptural i don't i, I don't know how anybody could argue that that is outside the bounds of bible authority now i guess we should state the obvious it has to be done on the first day of the week because that is specified uh, on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. And we would uh, we would make the argument that, that would preclude the other six days of the week. Since one day of the week is specified, we would not be at liberty to take up a collection of the saints on the other six days. Yeah, so we meet on Wednesday night for Bible study, but we don't have authority to we don't have authority to do the same thing we do on the Lord's day, but just do it on Wednesday night. We don't have authority for that. Right. So that, that Greg and, and go ahead, Brent. And there was something you said earlier uh, as you were uh, asking the questions. I believe, like you know, someone might mail in a contribution, but the the, the key it looks like would be that that contribution went in to the collection on the first day of the week. That would be the key. I think that's right. You know, you and I were talking yesterday on the phone. Uh, and here's a possible scenario that I think I would object to. So I mail in my contribution, and it just so happens that the guy here, that maybe we have a deacon who is in charge of the financial matters, and he he goes to the mailbox and he sees my check there, and he just happens to be going 
directly by the bank on his way home. And so he just deposits it on Thursday. The, 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 my check arrived in the mail on Thursday, and he just took it directly and deposited it in, 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 at the bank. On th- what happened there is that the money actually changed hands on Thursday. And I, I think I'd have a problem with that. There's nothing about the first day of the week there. But on the other hand, as Brent and I were talking last night, if if I gave you my check, Jacob, because I'm not going to be here Sunday, and you deposited it into the plate for me on Sunday, then then my money actually came into the treasury of the church on Sunday. It came into the possession of the church treasury on Sunday, which is what the scripture says I'm supposed to do. Is that does that do you agree with that, Brent? Right. That it would. Uh, yes. No. Uh, I mean, it would need to become a part of that treasury. Uh, you know, be in that collection on the first day of the week, and other than that, uh, I, I could not. I couldn't go. I, I couldn't be. You know, do that myself. Yeah. I- and, and I would have to know that it was going to go into the collection on the first day. Yes. Let's look into our listeners here, uh, Brent. Uh, Dwight's out in Iowa. He says, we read that Paul instructed the saints here to lay by in store on the first day of the week. They were to to also do this as they had been prospered. The collection was for the saints back at this time. In this passage, we read that the giving was to be done on the first day of the week. It does not say it was done in any assembly, only the first day of the week. It also says in Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, according to every, every man according as he has purposed in his heart, let him give. So uh, Dwight says, you know, he can't read uh, that this is limited to an assembly there in 1 Corinthians 17. And then, uh, or 16, sorry, uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, uh, I do sincerely appreciate the concern expressed in the question regarding following the authority of the scriptures. We are living in a time where such is not appreciated by some members of the church. So we need to appreciate such a concern even when disagreements arise regarding certain particulars. Insofar as the assembly itself, it has been established that the Lord's Supper is to be observed in the assembly. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, Acts 20, verse 7. Uh, when we consider a conjunction between 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 and Acts chapter 20, verse 7, such implies that the contribution was to be made in the first day of the week worship assembly as we have been prospered. Um, so Kent's making a connection there with Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. I'd like to have a little bit more information from Kent on how he makes that connection uh, in in there. Well, I I, I think we've always used those two verses together to show that that was their normal day of assembling. And we can, that's an assumption. I mean, I think it's, it, it, it seems to make sense that, well, they're Certainly getting together. Certainly it's true in Acts 20, verse 7. And it seems to be an assumption. Well, First Corinthians 16, they're told to give on the first day. Well, they must have been doing that while they were together. But that's an assumption. I think yeah. if, we, if we, we peel it all the way back, we've got to make a leap there to say, well, that was the assembly. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, to me, it may, to me, it's, to me it seems safe and logical, you know, safest thing to do, but... Can I go to the scripture and say, yes, that absolutely was in the assembly? I can't. Well, keep reading what he says there. He's, he goes on to say, uh, when we consider a conjunction between 1 Corinthians 16 and Acts 20, such implies that the contribution is to be made in the first day of the week, worship assembly, as we have been prospered. Uh, uh, he says, obviously, concerning the contribution, obviously some means is necessary for such to be received. I have not been able to deduce any specific means that is set forth in the text. If one uses baskets or trays, as is usually done, no violation of the text would take place. Okay. Uh, 
so he said, I read uh, years ago uh, a very old article where in the late 1800s, brethren during the assembly walked to the front of the auditorium, placed their contribution in a box near the pulpit area. While this does not seem to be the best approach in laying by in store, I do not know that it violates any biblical principle. So uh, Kent's taking the position that it should be done in the assembly. But again, I, again I'm, I'm, I cannot be as adamant about that as I am about the, the communion. The Lord's Supper is clearly to be done in the assembly when the whole church comes together in one place, as the text says in 1 Corinthians 11 and, and 1 Corinthians 14. And, and Brent, you mentioned, I think, in our discussions that you had been part of a congregation or had worshipped at a congregation where the collection was done actually in the entryway to the building. Uh, on the way out, people would put their contribution in a, in a box. After the assembly had been dismissed, on the way out of the building, they would uh, put in their contribution. So, uh is, am I correct on that, Brent? Right, right, and uh, and also even uh, people taking, uh, you know, dropping the collection into a plate uh, uh, as we exit. Okay, I just had a thought of an illustration to of uh, you know making a contribution into a treasury. Of course, this this illustration is not parallel in every respect. I, I understand that, but like in Mark chapter twelve. Uh, 41 to 44, you know, Jesus sat up against the temple, uh, or sat up against the treasury and watched how the people, you know, cast money into the treasury. So, you know, here was, yeah, I might say here's a collection. And, you know, we see in 1 Corinthians 16, you know, uh, here's a, a collection for the saints on the first, to be done on the first day of the week. I mean, it looks like that there would be, could be judgment involved on how you get the money into that treasury, that collection. Uh, but again, it doesn't uh, look to be restricted to the assembly. Like you know, and, and you've we've mentioned it several times. But like in First Corinthians eleven verse thirty three, you know, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he'll say, "Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another." So you know, you the, the brethren were coming together for the purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper, and they were to consider one another. You know, not uh, one eat and the other, you know, not having had anything, but consider one another uh, when you come together to eat. And so it, it looks explicit there that that uh, that the church assembles to partake of the Lord's Supper. But here in verse 16, uh, you know, there's a collection what for the saints. And so, you know, you you make a, that contribution, you're, you're getting it into the collection even if you, like you say, as you exit, you drop it into the plate. You know, after the, the assembly is dismissed. I, I agree. I agree with you, Brent. And, and and so I think the only thing that we can insist upon specifically is that the money changes hands. I, I don't. I, I'm I'm kind of struggling for a best way to express it, but the money changes hands. On the first day of the week. We've got a couple comments in the chat room, and then we'll get to a break. Uh, Brian in California and Rick both reference Acts 2, verse 42. Here's what Brian says. Acts 2, 42 states, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and the prayers. I've heard fellowship is used numerous times in the Greek to con- constitute giving. Is it safe to assume the taking up of the collection can be traced all the way back to the beginnings of the church in Acts 2? And then, and then, well, I, in answer to that, I think likely yes, but you also have to factor into that um, 
when there was a great need among the early disciples, uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according as he had need. Now, that doesn't say what day that was done on. So you'd be taking a leap to say, well, they were doing that every day of the week. Maybe they were doing that on the first day of the week. I don't know. It doesn't say. The only specific that we have about what day they did it on or what day they were commanded to do it on was 1 Corinthians 16. But in the next chapter, when uh, Ananias came and, of course, lied about what he was giving, it clearly wasn't in the assembly because his wife wasn't present. She came in later and and sort of tried to confirm the lie that Ananias had told. But they obviously weren't in the assembly. They were they were making their gifts, laying them at the apostles' feet. We don't know what day. So I can't say that they were doing it on any day other than Sunday. But I think you can say from that that it was not an act that was being done in the assembly. Here's what Rick says. He says uh, in Acts 2.42, the word fellowship has reference to their giving. It was on the first day of the week. Thus, we have both an apostolic example as well as a direct statement that it, it was to be done on the first day of the week. It is also obvious in Acts 2 that it was done in the assembly. And so Rick's going to Acts 2, verse 42, and where they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. That was a descriptive of their worship assembly. Well, the breaking of bread there, we think it was the Lord's Supper in Acts two forty two. Yeah, but it doesn't. It, it, but if if that's the only verse you had on that, you wouldn't know that what day they were doing that on. We'd have to go to Acts twenty to, to establish that they were doing the, the the Lord's Supper specifically on the first day of the week. Okay. So I think I think Rick is trying to say since since the breaking of bread was a first day of the week observance in the assembly in the assembly because we know that in Acts 20, verse 7, then he's arguing that you would connect the giving in the assembly for that, because it's in that same context, Acts 2.42, with, yes. with the breaking of bread. Right. That, right. That's an interesting thought, Rick. I have to give some more thought to that. Brittany, any comments on that before we go to break? Well, I, I did think that, I mean, we say, for example, a, a congregation assembles together to partake of the Lord's Supper. And, you know, say on their, their way out of the building, they... Uh, contribute, put, put their money into the collection for the saints. I would say that they are continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and teaching and fellowship and breaking the bread and giving the thanks. Uh, there's there's no details in Acts 2.42, I, I, I don't think. But there are details in First Corinthians 11, explicit details about uh, the, the, the church assembling for the Lord's Supper, but and then no explicit details in First Corinthians 16 in regard to exactly how the contribution into that treasury is made. Okay. Well, let's take a break. When we come back real quickly, we got to let Brent go. We've keep it, already keeping him longer than we promised. But, uh, we won't be able to afford the overtime here. No, we won't be able to afford his, his rates. But uh, when we get back, let's talk real quick about if I'm not here, should I give it to somebody else to give? Should I double up when I get back? And, and then uh, what about... If I'm visiting another congregation, should I give them some make contributions? questions. We're going to get that on the other side. Stay tuned. We're back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Here's a quick thought. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil 
But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. In a world full of evil, God calls us not to repay evil for evil. Instead, he says we should always seek to do good. Jesus lived this way every day of his existence. And so should we. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Behind every great idea is someone saying, it won't work. Thomas Edison said, I started where the last man left off. Why doesn't somebody do something? Wait, I'm somebody. I can do something. Be content with what you have, but not with what you are. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. We're back on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're talking with Brent Ciotta down in Athens, Alabama, on uh, giving and specifics about, uh, well, how it's to be done uh, and uh, the setting of that. Uh, And, uh, Brent, thanks again for joining us. Uh, You had some other questions you had posed to our listeners today. Okay, so, um, again, I, I actually think, and I ask this question, if I'm unable to be at services because of sickness or maybe traveling, can I make my contribution at, at the congregation that, where I'm a member in some other way? I think I can. I think I can give it to someone else so that it's contributed on the Lord's Day. I think I can mail it in so long as I know that whoever gathers the mail is going to see to it that it is put into the collection on the first day of the week. To me, the first day of the week is the key. It needs to be on the first day of the week. Uh, Brett, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, looking at verse 2, thinking about verse 2, uh, uh, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So, I, you know, I'm making a determination uh, according to my how God has prospered me on what I'm going to give. Uh, say I'm sick uh, or in prison or in shipwrecked or whatever. We hope you're in prison for Christ's sake, not yeah. for other reasons. Right. You know, there, there'd be some things I could not do. I could not uh, assemble to partake of the Lord's Supper. I could not uh, contribute into the, the, uh, that treasury, that central you know collection, you might say. But, you know, each uh, that, that first day that I'm, you know, say I'm shipwrecked, I'm marooned on an island, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm planning to give, you know, according to what I've been prospered. If at some point I've got to get that, that money into that trip, I've got to actually make that contribution. I've got to contribute into that, that uh, collection. Uh, I mean, the next time that it rolled around, the next Sunday that I was available, to, you know, assemble or whatever, or be there, uh, get that money to the, the collection, I'd do it. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I wouldn't skip that Sunday because I was marooned. Uh, you know, when I got back to civilization, I would, you know, take what I had been uh, intending to give, has I been prospered, and get it to that collection. Yeah. yeah. Of course, every time you have a shipwreck, though, the treasure chest gets washed overboard. <laughs> Maybe may on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, right. you know, but... Uh, uh, Seriously, uh, Brent, you and I, I, I mentioned this to you uh, last night when we were talking on the phone, that during this during this pandemic time, a lot of people have, have not, been, not been coming, not been able to come, been afraid to come because of contagion and so forth. So maybe somebody misses 10 weeks of assemblies. We've had people miss 10 weeks of assemblies and longer. 
are we to expect that if and when they are able to return to the assemblies, we're going to see a big bump in the in the contribution numbers because they're going to give it all. At, I don't know. I don't. I, I hope they would, but I, I I really fear that there's some Christians who say, "Hey, if I wasn't able to go this past Sunday because I was sick, well, I don't have to pay that. I did. I don't have to pay. I wasn't there." Uh, it maybe is almost the way they look at it, which I think is absolutely wrong. I think what Brent just said is right, and so. The last part of that question is if I'm traveling and I'm not there, what and and I didn't I didn't really think or make arrangements to give you my contribution ahead of time or mail it in ahead of time. It seems to me like it'd be reasonable that when I got back that I'm going to double up on that the the, the first Sunday the, the next Sunday when I'm there that I'm I'm not going to skip. I, I've been prospered. I'm supposed to dedicate a part of my prosperity. And I think I should do that, even if something prevents me from being physically present on the day that, that the contribution is collected. Well, what about it, Brent? Uh, say that you're traveling. Say you're down in Florida and you you stop in on Sunday morning and, and worship with the saints in Florida. Uh, are you going to give right. there or are you going to uh, give when well, you get back home? I've done it both ways, uh, uh, maybe a couple different ways. Um, you know, sometimes before I go and travel, I may know a, a brother that I want to just put my contribution in an envelope and, you know, contact them and then, you know, let them drop it in on the first day for me. Uh, but also, like you, the scenario that you're mentioning, I, I have also given, you know, where I visit with that congregation where I worship on the first day of the week, I, I give into the collection. I have a friend up in Michigan, Jim, uh, my good friend up in Michigan, Jim, who has urged me to think along that line that when you go someplace, in other words, you're on vacation in in uh, wherever. Timbuktu. Timbuktu. And you meet with the church there. Uh, as you should. I think, I think we, we want to seek out faithful brethren to worship with, uh, every, uh, Lord's Day. And so I'm, I'm with the church in Timbuktu on the Lord's Day. I really feel a commitment to the congregation back home because that's the work I'm a part of on a regular ongoing basis. But those, those brethren at Timbuktu have provided me a place and an opportunity to assemble while I was there. And uh, so my friend Jim, I'm just bringing up his name to say he he is of the opinion that I should give something there uh, because I have benefited by the work they're doing there. Okay. It's kind of an interesting way to think about it. I think it's a judgment call, but I think it's pretty good judgment. Okay. All right. Uh, There's some judgment calls here. I think we're going to uncover that here as we go along. Here's what uh, Mohan up in Illinois says. If a Christian is sick or traveling, I think it would be okay to double up upon his return at the next service. Since he would be a visitor at the traveling church, it's not necessary to give there, Mohan says. And yeah. uh, and Dwight says, my personal thought on giving it, if I miss due to being out of town or illness, is to make up make it up on the next first day of the week. To mail it would not be in accordance with giving on the first day of the week, because that would have to mail on a day or two or three before the first day of the week and take a chance that it may not even arrive. Uh, uh, could I give it to someone in, to place in the plate for me? Well, yes, I could, but would I be giving on the first day of the week, or would someone else be doing it for me? Personally speaking, if I'm going to be gone, I need to be the one to give on my return, he says. Uh, uh, as for the church I'm visiting, I don't believe I have to give there because I will be giving at my home church when I return. I would, how, could, however, support the group I'm visiting, but I think it, uh, on 
it should be I should be aware of the of the beliefs and practices of that group, so you're not supporting error. Interesting, interesting thought. That, that is thought. a good one. That is good. But but uh, hey, I, would, Jay, I would yes, go ahead, Brent. No, I, I was just thinking of an illustration on something, and I mentioned uh, I was just thinking about an illustration, Jacob, on something that was said in, in that, well, that that comment. Uh, you know, in Matthew 17, the latter part of that chapter, Peter was asked, uh, "Does your yeah. master pay tribute?" Yeah. And Peter said, "Yes." And uh, but then the bottom line of it was Jesus told Peter to. Uh, go to the fish, take the coin out of the fish's mouth, and give it, you know, for him and for Peter. Yeah. So, Good I mean, point. when Peter gave that coin, uh, that tax, you know, Jesus was paying it. I mean, he didn't have to. He was trying to say to Peter earlier, but, I mean, he, he paid it, even though Peter gave it. Yeah, so, I think that's uh, a good. You know, I think that's a good illustration. Can be an agent for us. Yes, that's a good word. Someone can be your agent. In other words, if if uh, I had a gift tonight to to give to Jacob's wife, I I give it to him and say, "Give this to Nikki for me." Well, when when she receives the gift. It's still from me, it's right. just because you happen to be the agent that passed it through. Right. It's still a gift from me, and that's be I, in my mind would be the same thing about the contribution. That's right. Here's what Kent said: If one is unable to be present at the given first day of the week assembly, if a Christian sends their contribution by another Christian who will during the uh, worship assembly place a contribution in the contribution basket or tray on behalf of the giver, I know of no biblical principle being violated. Most of us do it all the time on a given Lord's Day assembly relating to our families. Usually, husbands and wives contribute out of the same checking account. Or one or the other contributes cash on behalf of both. It seems the same principle applies to if one sends a check or cash for another Christian to give at the appointed time during the worship assembly. The contribution is made from the accumulated funds of the one providing the contribution, not the one being used as a delivery system. The contribution is not coming out of accumulated funds by the one giving assistance to the one who is absent. If this presents a conscious problem for some, then they can double their contribution when they return to the assembly the next Lord's Day, Romans 14, 22, and 23. It is certainly wrong to put another Christian in a situation that violates their conscience. Well, I would agree with that conscience matter for sure. But, you know, I don't think anybody – so the, the pew that we're sitting in is kind of long, and I'm at, the, I'm at the far end of it, and the guy with the passing the plate is at the other end of it. And so I hand it down the row, maybe two people, it passes two people's hands before it finally drops in the plate at the end of the pew. That's, that's still me. That's still me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. just because it passed through some other hands before it got there. So, I, I, again, I don't have a problem with it passing through somebody else's hand as long as it ultimately arrives in the church treasury from me on the first day of the week. Hey, and Dwight and Michelle out in Iowa appreciated your example there, Brent, about Jesus and the temple tax, uh, and they, they, that's helpful to them. So thanks for that. we got to let Brent go. We've kept yeah. him too long. We have. It's an interesting uh, – actually, it's it's – a, a more involved question, Brent, than I think that we probably have given credit to it in the past. And, uh, Greg, I, I would personally like to hear more uh, discussion on verse 2. Maybe someone break it down piece by piece and talk about it. One thing I did, if, if I may, just make another comment. Sure. Uh, um you know, one thing I, I did was thinking about in relation to verse two is, you know, the verse cannot be self-contradictory. You know, when we maybe someone says, "Oh, I'm just going to simply lay by in store and keep it at the house," but then you know, you're thinking, "Well, you know, Paul was coming; he you're, he's going to have to uh, take that collection." And then he says, "That there be no gatherings when I come." Well, you can't 
you can't do something that would be contradictory to the verse itself or and you can't take a an understanding of verse two that would be contradictory to verse one you know and maybe uh do it in some way that would would not really be considered the church itself having a collection so i guess as we think about verses one and two it uh it all has to work together i agree uh, and it can't contradict, like that, very, again, that very last phrase, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know, we, uh, I, I actually, like, you know, contributed into a collection would eliminate, uh, yes. any possibility that, uh, it, you could violate that last part. You know, we have had people who have, uh, I know you've probably dealt with it too, Brent, that, that have people challenge whether it's right for the church to even maintain a treasury. I, th- I think those verses clearly justify the maintenance of a treasury, a taking into a common treasury. And uh, and I've also heard people say, well, that just means that they were to make up their mind and set it aside at home, maybe put it in a sock in the sock drawer. But as Brent, as you said, that would defeat the the very context of the statement because then when Paul arrived, they'd have to gather it up. And he said, I don't want there to be any gatherings when they come. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, we're challenged to use our common sense and logic and rational thinking. And unfortunately, sometimes folks fail uh, on those on those essentials. You know, there was a even the, with Jesus and these, uh, the apostles, there was a there was a treasury there. You know, Judas held the bag. So. You know, there was no express thing about that, but they were they were Jesus and the apostles had a, a common treasury. Yeah, uh, and and obviously from First Corinthians sixteen one and two that there was a common treasury once the church was established. Well, uh, Brent, thank you again for joining us. Good to talk with you tonight. And thank um, you. And Brent, thank you for challenging us and and causing us to think twice about uh, what we understand there yeah. from First Corinthians yeah. sixteen one and two. Yeah. Stay well, Brent. Thank you very much. Tell all your kin folks we said hey. All right. (laughs) Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll go fast. Uh, Talking about Paul keeping a vow, and, well, the thorn in the flesh may uh, have to stick around a while. Yeah, we may not not get to that one. All right, well, don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Alan Smith. A photographer from a well-known national magazine was assigned to cover the fires at Yellowstone National Park. The magazine wanted to show some of the heroic work of the firefighters as they battled the blaze. When the photographer arrived, he realized that the smoke was so thick that it would seriously impede or make impossible for him to photograph anything from ground level. He requested permission to rent a plane and take photos from the air. His request was approved and arrangements were made. He was told to report to a nearby airport where a plane would be waiting for him. He arrived at the airport and saw a plane warming up near the gate. He jumped in with his bag and shouted, let's go. The pilot swung the little plane into the wind, and within minutes they were in the air. The photographer said, fly over the park and make two or three low passes so I can take some pictures. Why, asked the pilot. Because I'm a photographer, he responded, and photographers take photographs. The pilot was silent for a moment. Finally, he stammered, you mean you're not the flight instructor? When it comes to our spiritual lives, we better be certain that someone competent is in control. If we assume, as in this story we just told, that someone else has the ability to guide us safely, we may well be headed for disaster, unless that someone else is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus said to them, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Luke 6, beginning verse 39. Take a moment to check the cockpit. Who's in control of your life? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Jack. I am 8 years old, and this is Vulture Bible Study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Reminded you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Kyle, give a rundown on the sermon stream. Yeah, which uh, there should be in probably some point tonight. There's a the lesson we're going to MP3 tonight on our virtual Bible study, which on our the lesson that did. Greg did on Sunday night is going up on MP3. Yeah, and we, it should we, be, we, uh, oh, the podcast, sir. This podcast. We'll, we'll get yeah. the podcast of that sermon, but we, yeah. Kyle's also, also working because we had a little glitch and didn't get the video uh, uh, posted be on Sunday night. What's going on, Kyle? Yeah. I don't know. It's, well, I think it's, it's hey, YouTube changes their uh, streaming so much it's hard to. Hard to so, keep up with. Yeah. Oh, we might have to get fired if you go that was, straight I, up. That was kind of a, a different sermon. I entitled it. Roman emperors and U.S. presidents. Uh, so that's a little tease. Uh, so grab that podcast and see what you think and let me know. Uh, or, or or later tonight, hopefully, Kyle will have it up on YouTube did so you can get, look at the video. Did it get censored, you think? No, no. Uh, it no, never it, got it out. It never got to get to the get yeah. censored. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're talking about uh, various questions tonight. Good discussion with Brent Siot again. Thank you for, to him for taking time out of this evening to join us on the program and some really good thoughts. Now on to Paul. Uh, well, okay. some things going on here in Acts chapter 21 that uh, maybe wonder about. You know, I, uh, this came up in our Bible class last night on uh, our, our study of the book of Acts. And I just think it's a really interesting and really, in my opinion, the most challenging thing to explain in the whole book of Acts. Uh, I, I pointed out to our class, you know, Acts is not a hard book to understand. It's probably one of the easier books in the New Testament, maybe the easiest book in the New Testament to understand. I love it. It's just a straight historical narrative, but it gives so much information about those first century Christians and how they did what they did and how we should do what we do. But probably the hardest thing in the book of Acts is this text. I want to read it real quick. Acts 21, beginning verse 15. This is Paul at the end of the third missionary journey. After those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Um, skipping down to verse 18, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when Paul had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do this, therefore, that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Take them and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they are informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should have been offered for every one of them. So 
here's the question that we have. You know, Paul obviously engaged in certain rites of purification according to the law of Moses. But we understand the law of Moses had been ended at that point in time by 30 years at least. And so uh, how do we explain Paul doing that? And uh, if you you search around and look for different explanations that are offered, uh, some people say that Maybe Paul just didn't know better. Maybe at that point he didn't know better. And I, I, I can't I can't abide that explanation because Paul had taught on that subject. He'd been very adamant about it. He'd been adamant about it. And some of his epistles, not all of his epistles, but some of his epistles were written before this point in time. And in those epistles, like Galatians, he clearly says we're not under the law. Fall we, grace. we. He didn't say you Gentiles are under the law. He said we are no longer under the law. Uh, Galatians 3, 24 and 25. So he knew that the law of Moses was abolished. So he couldn't say Paul acted in ignorance. Some people say that he acted in, in weakness, that he sinned, that he was, that he was overwhelmed by the pressure of the Jewish presence. He compromised. In, in Jerusalem and he compromised on the matter and that he shouldn't have done it and he did it and it was a sin for him to do it. I have a problem with that. Now, as I expressed in our class last night, my problem is not to say that Apostles were above sin. We know they were not. Uh, Peter sinned in Galatians two. In Paul, similar fashion. In, yeah. I mean, if the, this was I mean, if if this right was the there, he he Peter fell victim to the pressure of the Jews and sinned, mm-hmm. and Paul confronted him. So here's the point in Galatians two: when Peter, an apostle, sinned, his sin is exposed and rebuked. If Paul on this occasion sinned, it is not exposed that he sinned, and he's not rebuked for the sin that he committed. And furthermore, it wouldn't only be Paul who committed the sin, it would be James, the brother of our Lord, and the other elders in, in Jerusalem who actually told him to do it. So you got a whole bunch of them committing sin. I, don't, I, I can't go there. If we have an apostle sinning and his sin is not exposed and rebuked, then that calls into the question the whole category of Bible authority that we refer to as apostolic example. How do we know which apostolic examples are good and which ones are not? Who gets to decide? Yeah. So you're really opening a can of worms if you say that Paul sinned there. I think the best explanation is that Paul was engaging in that activity as an act of Jewish national custom. Paul was a Jew. He was ethnically a Jew. He never distanced himself from that Jewish identity. He embraced it. He, 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 uh, he, he was not ashamed of the fact that he was a Jew, raised as a Jew. Uh, when he went into every city on his missionary journeys, almost every city, he, the first place he went to was the Jewish synagogue. Obviously, he went there to tell them about Jesus, but he, he associated with the Jews in the synagogue. He had great love for his brother. He, yeah, Romans, uh, talks about Romans that. 10. Uh, you know, his heart's desire is that his Jewish brethren might be saved. And so Paul never distanced himself from his Jewish identity. And I think the best explanation is that he was engaging in these activities as a matter of custom. In fact, the elders, when they had encouraged him to do so, it show that you still live by the customs, they said, uh, in verse 21 of chapter 21, that you, uh, that you do not, uh, says, uh, uh, 
that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles uh, that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Show that you're not teaching that, they said. So, but they even used the word customs, that you're not teaching them to forsake the customs. Uh, and so I think what he was doing there uh, was a matter of Jewish national tradition, custom, uh now, the question is, it, it was engaged, it, it was a religious act. It was engaged as a religious act. Uh, and some people would have a problem with that, maybe. But I, I actually think that we could do some things that are not specified for us religiously. But we might choose to do them, even though they have a religious overtone. In uh, uh, the example of our in our class last night, I suggest, you know, if we wanted on a, uh, on a spring Sunday morning, to go out uh, into a country place, maybe we agree to meet at a park at sunrise, and we're going to have a special, we decide, we're just going to, several of us decide that we're going to go there, we're going to be there when the sun comes up, and we're going to have prayer and commemoration, remembering the the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus, which you know the 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 women first discovered that he was resurrected uh, as very early as the sun was rising on the first day of the week. Could we do that? I think we could do that. We couldn't bind somebody. We couldn't say, "Now you be out there at sunrise, or you'll be sinning." But we could choose to do that. Paul was not binding this this observance. In fact, we know that Paul, if anybody tried to bind elements of the Jewish law, he he withstood them adamantly. Remember, when some tried to insist that Titus be circumcised, he wouldn't put up with that for a minute. But on the other hand, he did have Timothy circumcised just to avoid any questions or controversy that might hinder the work. And so he would observe Jewish custom, but he wouldn't allow it to be bound. Let's see. Uh, let's see if Kent uh, agrees with that. Uh, you guys are usually on the same page. He says Acts twenty one nineteen through twenty six is admittedly a section that presents some difficulties in Bible study. However, such considerations and discussions about the passage needs to be understood that this d- deals with a time element that was limited to the first century prior to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and would not occur today. Yeah, we couldn't do it today if we wanted to. Well, you couldn't go to the temple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I see no reason why this should cause a problem among brethren today. In other passages, Paul, by inspiration, taught that the Old Testament law was no longer binding. To teach contrary to what Paul had taught would be sinful. Salvation was through Christ, not by Mosaic law. However, Paul did not forbid the Jews from observing such practices as recorded in the pa- this passage, along with physical circumcision, if they did not, if they did so upon the basis that such was nothing more than practicing their Jer- Jewish heritage. By engaging in such customs, he was attempting to preserve his ability to influence the Jews on behalf of the gospel. First Corinthians nineteen uh, nine nineteen through twenty one. That's a good passage to tie in here. Yeah, he, all he, thanks to all men. Yeah, he he was trying to not offend them. He was going, yeah. you know, he didn't want to look like he was thumbing his nose at God or or what was you know. Established Somebody in as, the class last night pointed out, you know, Paul Paul acknowledged in First uh, Corinthians eight and ten and Romans chapter fourteen. That you could even eat meats offered to idols. Now that obviously had some religious overtones to it. You could you could eat meats offered to idols. But if someone tried to make a point of it and say, you know, hey, by the way, you're eating meat that's been offered to idols, he says, don't do it. You know. So uh, again, just because in- something, just because some practice had its roots in religion, 
of some sort doesn't mean that you couldn't do it, but you you couldn't bind it. You couldn't insist on it. I think one takeaway here is we need to be careful about how we're interpreted and how people may take some of the things that we're, we may present. Maybe in our right to do something. Yeah. But it may be taken the wrong way. It well, may... Paul said that about eating meats. So. Yeah, right. We, but it, today, in the 21st yeah. century, there are still situations where that would be applicable. Here's what Rick said. Rick is in the chat room. He's, he's very close to what Kent's saying here. I believe that this can somewhat be explained by the example of Paul dealing with Timothy and Titus. With Timothy, it was a matter of expedience. See, with Titus, it was to show the error of the Judaizers. Paul also deals with this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-27. So he and Kent are on the same page there tonight. Here's what Mohan up in Illinois says. This is, uh, I think this is similar to circumcision, even though these were Old Testament acts, as long as they are not uh, performed as religious acts and not binding it on other people, that would be a personal choice. Thank you, Mohan, for your comments tonight. And Dwight says, uh, Paul took uh, circumcised Timothy in Acts 16. He circumcised him because of the Jews in the area. They knew that Timothy's father was Greek, but his mother was a Jew. It was for his influence with the Jews. I'm not 100% sure, but Paul's purification, Acts 21, may have been for influence sake, just like Timothy's. I think it probably, I think it was. I think the context of that suggests that it definitely was. But again, I, I would stress that Paul wouldn't, even there, if someone, it, it wasn't an act of justification. Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 4, if you try to be justified by the law, you're falling from grace. Christ has become of no effect to you, he said. So Paul would not have, what he did, he did not do for the sake of being justified in the sight of God. He did it as a, as a, as a customary, a customary, a Jewish customary practice, but not a binding religious observance. Okay. Uh, well, We've we got, got a choice to make here. We're yeah. going to skip the last break, obviously, but uh, you want to get into the thorn yeah, in the flesh? Yeah, let's real quick. Let's take this question on Paul's thorn in the flesh in Second Corinthians chapter 12. This one shouldn't take very long to answer. Yeah, let's go to this real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning... Verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He just previously t- talked about, just in the verses, just before that, t- talked about some special revelations that he uh, received. And he says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Um, so uh, the, the question is, uh, what was this thorn in the flesh uh, that Paul had? And the answer to it is... Okay, here we go. Drum roll. We don't know. Oh, uh, we, 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 we know some things. That it was painful. It was chronic. And it was beyond his personal power to make it better. Yep. He couldn't make it better. Now, you can read commentators, and this has been speculated on ever since the first century. It's been speculated on as to what were or what was the, the thorn in the flesh. And, and I've got a list of some commentators who said eye trouble. And I think a lot of people think maybe it was eye trouble. That'd have to be the one I'd vote for if I had to uh, vote. Some people say stomach trouble. Others, I've heard headaches. 
Some say it was a character flaw, like a temper that was difficult to control. Others say it was the memory of the persecutions he caused before he was a Christian. Uh, others say it was some particular people or persons who made trouble for him. They were a thorn. Well, we might say they're a thorn in my side. So yeah. maybe. Okay. Some say it was constant rejection by his Jewish brethren. And then he, he specifically mentioned in, uh, that he, that he was burdened with the care of all the churches. Uh, we don't know what any of those were, uh, or, or which of them was, uh, correct. But, but there is, uh, some indication that, that he had eye trouble. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. I should have written it down. What's that text where said you would have taken, plucked your eyes? Galatians 4.15. Galatians 4.15. Okay. In Galatians 4, verse 15, uh, he said, uh, 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 I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And then in that same epistle, in chapter 6, verse 11, he said, You see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. And some people put both of those statements together to suggest that he had very bad eyesight. And there may have even been deformity. There was apparently something to do with Paul's appearance that was not all that attractive. Yeah. Uh, that could have been repulsive even. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there's something, you know, maybe these eyes had maybe some kind of infection or something. Or, or maybe, you know, just, you know, sometimes, you know. They weren't tracking like they should. They weren't tracking. You couldn't, you couldn't look at him. Maybe he was cross-eyed or something. I don't know. But, but people have all, have, have speculated about all those kind of things. And there's just no answer. It's not answerable. Uh, let's see what our emailer said. And then I want to, I want to, uh, draw some, some lessons from how he dealt with it. I think are pretty valuable. Here's Kent. So this is interesting. I'm not sure exactly what constituted Paul's thorn in the flesh is found in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It is my personal opinion that this thorn in the flesh could possibly be the false teachers of 2 Corinthians 11, 18 through 28. We encounter individuals today that become a pain in the neck, perhaps or a thorn in the side. Perhaps these troublers of Paul could have been a, his thorn in the flesh. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Kent. Uh, and then uh, Dwight says concerning Paul's thorn in the flesh, read in Galatians 6.11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Folks have used this passage thinking Paul had poor eyesight and believed that this was his thorn in the flesh. It very well could have been, but we have no concrete evidence of this in the scriptures. Although on the way to Damascus, the bright light shone down on him, and he was blinded, yet he received his sight back when Ananias said to him for him to receive his sight. We don't know how well his sight was received after, or how, how well his sight was after receiving it back, or how well, how well it was before he lost it. So Paul asked for his thorn of the flesh to be removed from him three times, yet the Lord told him that his grace was sufficient enough. Paul then was content with this thorn of the flesh because he realized that by being weak in this area, he was stronger for Christ's sakes, verse 9 and 10. Yeah, and those are the points. Uh, those are exactly the points. What Dwight just mentioned that I was going to point out. How did he handle his thorn in the flesh that he couldn't get rid of? Well, he did. He didn't blame God. He called it a messenger of Satan. He yep. didn't blame God for it. He prayed about it. He said he prayed three times, but I don't think it meant he prayed three short prayers on a given day. I think probably he engaged in an intense prayer in three different cycles. Uh, but he prayed. He prayed about. It. He accepted the fact that. He would have to live with it. He looked for blessings in this thorn, and he learned to even rejoice about it. Something you know, we, we have some troubles in our lives: physical ailments, maybe spiritual trials and temptations. 
I think we can learn from Paul uh, in how he dealt with his thorn in the flesh, and uh, there's some things there that, that we could meditate upon. You know, I think one of the things that I, I learned from that is he, he made his petition to God, and then he accepted the answer, and uh, I think we need to be willing to, to accept that as well. God hears our prayers, and uh, when we've made our petition, as Paul did, um, we need to maybe leave it in God's hands. Here's what Rick said. We are not told what this thorn was. The example of Paul in the last seven or eight chapters of Acts demonstrated how we can use these Use things that might be a thorn to us to carry on the work of Christ. What he could not, not do openly, he did as a house prisoner, even in, uh, in the center of persecution, Rome. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Dwight. Appreciate your comments in the chat room. Oh, that was Dwight. Rick, 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 Rick. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Rick. Sorry, that was Rick. Yeah, Rick. Well, Rick, Dwight, Michelle, Brian, all of, all contributed tonight. We appreciate those. Kyle, what do you think? What was the thorn in the flesh? Was it a splinter, maybe? I don't think we actually need oh. it to know what it was. Oh, I think it's, uh, we just need to, to make that. sure that his, uh, Good point. his reaction to it, I think. Good point. Yes. Yeah, maybe if I, we I, needed to know, we would know. Exactly That's right. right. But in, and maybe in God's uh, wisdom, we don't because, oh, I saw eye problems. Yeah. I got you know, that. Because we all have our own we possible our own thorn, thorn in the flesh. That's right. Yeah. So if just a generic thorn in the flesh. Maybe it's God's wisdom and maybe it's God's wisdom and... Laying that be nice yeah. observation. Good observation. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, thanks for helping us get it, it out good. tonight. Uh, Dad, thanks for a good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks again to Brent Siota. His yeah. uh, contribution his to the study tonight. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.